Hey, this is Kevin Rowe. The religious leaders of Jesus' day often hurled what they thought was an insult at Jesus, that he welcomed sinners and tax collectors and ate with them. Now, apologies to any IRS agents who may be listening, but when we hear tax collectors, we don't get the full impact of what they're saying. Tax collectors work for the Roman government who had conquered the Jewish people. So basically, tax collectors were traitors. What's ironic, though, is that Jesus embraced this quote-unquote insult because he loved tax collectors and sinners. We see this play out in Luke 15. Jesus was with these tax collectors and sinners, and the religious leaders were grumbling about it. Jesus took the time to tell three stories about God's amazing love and how the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. So whether you've had a relationship with Christ for decades, or whether you haven't yet made a decision to follow Christ, I hope today's episode will encourage you by showing you how much God loves you and values you. And with that, let's dive into episode 31. Hey, and welcome back. Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. Over the past few weeks, and then including the Saturday that's coming up, I've had an opportunity to speak for the team chapel uh, for ABU softball team, which I get to do that about once a month. Um, I've also had the opportunity to speak at the upper school chapel um, for Stonegate Christian Academy, uh, which is where our younger two kids go and where our oldest graduated from this past May. And then the Saturday coming up, I'll be speaking at our breakfast at church uh, that we have about once a month as well. And I've had a theme that's kind of been running through those opportunities. It is something that God has placed on my heart during this time. Um, When you're in ministry, there are a number of times, a number of seasons where you might be going through and you don't actually know if you know someone by name who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. Now, hopefully, as the church is reaching out, there are people who are coming in and we're reaching out to people that don't know Christ yet. But there's seasons where you just don't know if someone is in that in that spot. And I've had those times in my life. Uh, but through some of the opportunities that I've had, I have a couple of people that I'm praying for, praying for specifically for them to know Christ. And I'm praying for opportunities for me to be able to share with them. And so God has placed that on my heart as I've been going through this. And then really the theme throughout these opportunities that I've had has been helping people find their value and that their value is in Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to share just kind of uh, from this kind of message that God has placed on my heart in the season. It comes from Luke 15. Um, and so maybe you've had, a, maybe you've heard me talk about some of these before, or if you happen to be coming on Saturday, well, uh, you get a little bit of a preview of what I'm going to cover there, but I just kind of want to jump in. So um, do you know who held the record for career home runs as a batter at the end of 1935? And if you think back and you think about big home run hitters, you might guess very well that it was Babe Ruth, and it is. And he had over 700 home runs at that time. Do you know who had the record for the most strikeouts at the same time? And it was also Babe Ruth. He had struck out over 1,300 times, which is a record that stood for over 30 years. Now, that would get eclipsed quickly today uh, when you actually have people that strike out close to 200 times a year. Uh, But the person who had the home run record also had the strikeout record. And then this one, I, I love this right here. And by the way, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, the person who broke Ruth's record in 1964 was Mickey Mantle, another huge name there, but that who broke his record for the most strikeouts. But this one I really love. So Michael Jordan, in his career with the Bulls, there were 25 different times that he had the ball in his hand with his team either tied or down less than one shot. And he had an opportunity at the end of the game to take the shot to win the game. 25 times he took that shot and made it. So he made the game-winning shot. 
But there were 26 times where he was in the same situation and he took the shot and missed. So Michael Jordan, again, who I would say arguably is the best player who've ever, who has ever lived in the NBA, he missed the game-winning shot more than he made it when he had the opportunity. And then, now in Major League Baseball, back to baseball, um, who holds the, the record for the most strikeouts as a pitcher? Well, of course, that's Nolan Ryan. 5,714 strikeouts as a pitcher. Do you know who holds the record for the most walks? It's also Nolan Ryan. He walked 2,795 batters. And I love a story about Nolan when he was in high school uh, that there was a game where the first batter he hit, I might have the order back backwards on this, but the first batter he hit broke the guy's helmet. The second guy he hit and broke the guy's arm. And the third guy went back to the dugout and begged his coach to take him out of the game so he wouldn't have to hit against Nolan. Uh, but the reality is this. There were, I mean, these were some of the greatest athletes who ever lived, and even they failed. Even they had off days. Even they had days when someone was simply better than them. And so if your identity is tied up in your performance or your job or your relationships, what happens when those fail? Um, There's a great book, and not really going into it today, but kind of foundational for me in where this message went, that's called The Search for Significance. It's worth looking it up. I'll put it in the show notes. There's an adult version. There's a student version that really talks about the performance trap uh, and then the po- uh, I believe the popularity trap was the other one as well, that these are some of the traps where we try to find our value from our performance or from our popularity and what happens when those things let us down. So, um, But you know, I, I do work with the softball team at Arlington Baptist, and I was joking with um, some of the returners. I had an opportunity to have some time with them as the beginning of the year was happening, and we were kind of halfway joking uh, that my job – as a chaplain, is part chaplain and part sports psychologist. And the reality is there's some truth to that. There were some times last year, and I'm sure there will be some times this year too, where I get a sense that someone is struggling during a game, uh, you, you know, not necessarily even with their performance, but where they are in their head. And I'll come by and say, hey, let's go talk for a minute. And maybe walk down to the end of the dugout and have a conversation to try and help them get where they need to be. And, you know, and honestly, I'm having conversations with players well before the season this year to say, hey, how can I help you when when you get in your head? How do I help you get out of that so that you can focus and do your best? Well, part of that comes from the fact that I deal with people a lot um, as, a, as a pastor and, you know, in the, the opportunities I get there, I deal with a lot of people and kind of what people are going through. Part of that comes from um, that I've coached in the past. I've been a school administrator in the past. Part of that comes from that I was a student minister before I became a pastor for many, many years. And that was uh, really um, a ministry that I love being a part of, was working with students. So middle school, high school, and college students. But honestly, where most of that comes from is what I want to touch on in the rest of this time. Psalm 139, 13 says, You were created by God. And it says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I love that language there, that knitting together. It's a very intimate act that you see of God just taking, it's like God's taking it and just just weaving us together. So here's the thing, you're not a carbon copy. Even if you're a twin, you are not a carbon copy. You are an original masterpiece. So in Luke 15 has three stories of people who valued and pursued something or someone of great value and worth to them. So as you hear these stories, I want you to realize that that's how God feels about, about you and about that he pursues you. 
So starting in Luke 15 and verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So we have this picture. You've got a shepherd that's there, and he has one sheep that goes missing out of 100. It'd be easy to go, well, I need to stay focused on the 99 because they're the ones that are here. If I lose one, you know, that's not a big deal. What if happens if I go and then I lose some of the 99 while I'm chasing the one? But he goes and he searches and he finds him. And when he comes back, he has a celebration because he found the lost sheep. Then the second parable picks up in verse 8. Jesus says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So and I, this one always kind of threw me off a little bit. I'm like, 10 coins. I mean, even if they're worth a little bit, like you throw a party when you find one coin that you're missing, um, do you not spend as much on the party as you do on finding the coin? Well, um, as I went and looked, it looks that this may very well be the dowry. Um, and so the woman has this dowry that if something happens where for some reason she no longer has her husband, a, a divorce happens, a death happens or something and she has nothing else. This dowry is what she would have as her possession to live on. And so by losing one of 10, and again, um, one of these coins, it may have been worth a few days wages, something like that. But but for her to lose one-tenth of that is a huge deal. So she goes and she searches and searches and searches until she finds that. And then when she does, there's rejoicing that's there. And then verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now this one, in this culture, this is basically saying, I wish you were dead so that I could go ahead and get my inheritance. Why don't you just already? Why don't you just die already so I can get my money? That's basically what the son is saying to his father when he's saying, give me my share now. Is It, it would just be better if you were dead and I just had the money. So this is no small thing. And the father... We pick up. We pick up in that verse. It says, "So he desi- he divided his property um, between them." The father grants his wish. I mean, he could have said, "Well, who do you think you are? You, you, again, you wish that I was dead, and you, yet you want me to give you the money." But the father does it. Verse thirteen. It says, "Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living." So again. This inheritance that he's gotten. Well, his father would have gotten his inheritance from his father, and his father would have gotten it from his father and, and back. So you, you trace this back generations of the wealth that's been built up that this father has, and he takes basically half of his of his wealth and gives it to his son, and he goes and he squanders it just like that. So I mean it's this huge thing. And in verse 14 it says, after he had spent everything, so he's wasted it all. It says, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country, or to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, pigs were considered this incredibly unclean animal for a Jew. They wouldn't want to have anything to do with it if they could avoid it. 
And here he is having to feed the pigs. Beyond that, verse 15 or verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So not only this unclean animal that he's having to be around, but he wishes he had the food that they had. And so, I mean, this is just showing how bad things have gotten for him. Verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he's like, just treat me like one of your servants. They have it so much better than I do. So to verse 20, it says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, why did his, how did his father see him? Well, because he was waiting and he was watching for him. I get this picture that as soon as the son left, the father went out and found a spot where he could look off into the distance to see the, the, the earliest picture of his son returning to him, that he would be able to see him. So he's, he's there and he's watching him. And it says, and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. And men, you know, especially dignified men in that age, did not do that. They wouldn't run like this. But he did that, and it says he threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, the speech that he had prepared, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So we see this picture of this this party that's being thrown. And again, the son who had basically said, I wish you were dead, father. And then he comes back and says, I'm not worthy to be considered your son, which a lot of people would have said, you're right. You're not worthy to be considered my son. But but he's, you know, the father stops him when he's in the middle of his speech and go get the best robe and, and, and the ring and all of these things. And, um, you know, bring the fattened calf, the calf that we've been preparing for a big party. This is the time. This is what we've been saving it for. And so it's this incredible picture. Now, I wish it ended there, but it doesn't. Verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he's, he's what's going on? So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, which I, just right there, the brother gets angry, which... That seems understandable that his brother would get angry in this moment. But his father cares enough about the older brother as well that he goes out to him. And he comes out and he pleads with him to come in. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. All the rest of it's gone. I mean, the, the everything that would have gone to the other brother has been wasted now. But, but he's like, everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So here's the thing. Your identity isn't a sport that you play if you happen to play a sport. Your value isn't determined by how you perform. It's not based on your GPA if you're a student. It's not based on your job title or your position or your relationships. 
And honestly, and I tell the players, you know, you're going to perform a lot better if you're not constantly worried about getting your value or worth from how you play. I mean, if, if you're so consumed with my value is on how well I do this, the pressure is going to be so great that you're not going to do it as well, rather than if you find the relief in finding your value in Christ. But the value of a painting is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay for it. And do you know what price was paid for you? The life of Jesus Christ. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God values you. And it's not based on how good you are. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we had absolutely nothing to offer God, that's when Jesus died for us. It's about God's reckless love for you. So I had an opportunity several years ago, and this is back, it's been almost almost a couple decades at this point now, had an opportunity to go to a student ministry conference in Chicago. And while we were there, they did a message on the prodigal son. It was actually based off of uh, Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, which is based off of Rembrandt's painting or kind of uses that as a jumping point off. But this message on the prodigal son. And we were going to take communion after the message. And they're going through all of this. They're talking about the different people in in this story and, um, and, and everything. And then they said this. They said, in just a moment, you're going to go take communion. There's tables set up everywhere. And when you go to the table, I want you to pick out the name tag that identifies who you are in the story. And when I heard that, I was just one of those moments of like, oh, I hate having to do that. Because, you know, well, do I, do I identify with the, the prodigal son who has strayed away some? Or do I, you know, am I the, the older brother that's, that's kind of looking on and going, why did they get it so, you know, why does he get it so good? What has he done to deserve this or whatever? And actually in the painting, there's a spectator. And is it like the spectator who's watching? Or, you know, the father in the story obviously represents God, but, but you know, there's times where we're called to represent God to others and stuff. And so just really wrestling through who was I going to identify with? And the fact I had to get a name tag and put that name on and claim who I was in the story. But the time comes and I go back to the table and get ready to take communion. And I look at the name tags and every single name tag on the table said, Beloved. Because every person who was going to that table, who they were in the story was beloved by God, loved by God, that no matter how good they had been, no matter how bad they had been, if they'd squandered, if they were jealous, if they were upset, if wherever we were, whoever we were, that we are God's beloved. And that is an incredible thing. And so today, as you're listening to this, and again, I said this is a little bit different today, but as you're listening to this, who are you in the story? And where are you? If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ already, then you have that. You have that relationship with him that's there. And whether we, whether it's been a recent thing and it's an exciting thing and it's new and fresh, whether it's something that's we've kind of forgotten where we came from and it's easy to get upset at other people and, and, and things like that or whatever. But if we have a relationship with Christ, we're his children. And if you don't have a relationship with God, then you have that opportunity to come to know him and to find that you are beloved by God, that he sent Jesus to die for you, that he loves you and values you with that, that kind of love and value there. 
And as I'm praying for right now, and again, looking for opportunities to share Jesus with others that um, with some that I'm praying for specifically by name, that's what I want them to get as well. And I love in really in each of the stories, it doesn't spell it out quite the same way in the last story, but it's certainly implied. But the first two that it makes it clear, there's a party in heaven when anyone comes to know Jesus Christ. It says it's, there's more celebration for one who comes to know Christ than 99 who didn't even need to, and all of us need to, other than Jesus, every single person that's lived needs to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I want you to think about that, that you have value because the God of the universe created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He loves you, and he either, either you already have a relationship with him or he wants a relationship with you. And so if you're not sure how to do that, I'd love you to reach out. Again, I'm going to put my contact information in the, in the show notes and would love to connect with you. Um, maybe you've got somebody around you that you trust that you would say, hey, I, I, I need to talk to you about this and find out about Jesus and about this love that God has for us. What, whatever it is, whatever that next step is that we need to do to realize the value that we have in Jesus Christ and to realize that, that God has a passion for finding lost things and really lost people. So thanks for being a part today. Look forward to being back with you soon uh, and have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Community Chat Podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at communitynorthbc.org to find out more information about this podcast or our church. Thanks for listening.